On this edition of Jerusalem Dateline, Israel holds its fifth election in less than four years. Benjamin Netanyahu return as Israel's prime minister and end the political gridlock. Plus, churches across the world prepare to light up and commemorate one of the worst atrocities against the Jewish people. An ancient treasure under the sea, what one man found while diving off the coast of the Mediterranean. All this and more on this edition of Jerusalem Dateline. Hello and welcome to this edition of Jerusalem Dateline. I'm Chris Mitchell. Israelis are back at the polls today for an unprecedented fifth election in less than four years. As Julie Stahl reports, the question remains of what it will take to break this cycle of perpetual elections. The biggest issues in most elections vary from the economy to national security. In this cycle, it's the challenge of forming a stable government to prevent yet another early election. Last election, as we saw, uh, the, the party that finished first didn't end up with the prime minister's office. That was in 2021, when political parties from left and right joined together against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The right has really won in every election, including the one where Netanyahu didn't get to be prime minister. The question is, who in the coalition is going to side with someone like Netanyahu and who isn't? Israelis vote for parties, not candidates. This time, more than 35 parties are competing for 120 Knesset seats. The fact is that every election, there are at least 10 parties that uh, pass this, this threshold. In order to join the Knesset, a party must receive 3.25% of the votes. The leader of the party winning the most seats usually works to form a majority coalition. Gilad Malach from the Israel Democracy Institute says the consistent issue during the past four years has been Netanyahu himself. It's even not right-wingers and, and left-wingers or center-left-wingers. It's supporting Netanyahu or against Netanyahu. CBN political analyst John Wagi adds that this time around, other issues are emerging. Yair Lapid called for a two-state solution in front of the United Nations. The fact that they just formed a gas deal with Lebanon, and many Israelis might think that they got the short end of that bargain. The violence that we've seen crop up in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. According to voting patterns, Israelis mostly vote conservative. So why the constant division? One group is banning the other group. Both groups are banning the other group, so there are not a lot of options to build a government. The final polls are mixed. They show Netanyahu having enough to form a coalition government in two of the polls, and in the other two, he falls just short. The other question you have to ask in the middle of that is, where does Lapid stand? He has a much, much more difficult path to gaining a coalition. Since 1988, no government has finished its four-year term, and based on recent results, that pattern will not likely be broken anytime soon. Unless we will see maybe a new leader that we will have charisma and ability to take some voters from the other side, we will continue in this difficult situation even for the next coming years. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Jerusalem. While Israelis eagerly await the results of this election, here's an interview I did with Middle East correspondent Julie Stahl and CBN News political analyst John Wagi about how this vote could play out. 
John, Julie, today's a great big day in uh, Israel's history, another election. Uh, John, a lot of people are wondering about Netanyahu. Can he make enough seats to become prime minister again? What do you think? I don't think there's any question, Chris, that he can make it. The question is whether he will. Uh, he's only one seat short in just about every one of the final polls. A couple of them actually showing him gets, getting 61 seats. It's up to the voters to say, and they will say. Yeah. And Julie, you're one of those voters. And uh, <laughs> what are voters thinking about right now? What are the issues that are, they're facing? And what are the issues that are going to be most paramount when they step into the voting booth? This time, it's not going to be as much about Netanyahu as it was in the past. Uh, people are thinking about this new deal they just made in Lebanon. Um, they're also thinking about security issues. There's been a huge upsurge in Palestinian terrorism, especially in the territories. And uh, one person particularly said to me, who I wouldn't have thought this, that the attack in Kiryat Arba the other day on right Ben Gvir, yeah, yeah, right near Hebron, that, of course, now he had to vote more radically because you have to stop this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's almost as if the Palestinian terrorists are driving the Israeli public to the right. We'll see if that's actually, when we have the final results, yeah. if that's what happens, but it seems that way. I talked to an Israeli friend who had the same sentiment mm -hmm. yesterday. John, one thing in Israel that's similar in many nations around the world, Brazil just had their elections. There was a, almost a 50-50 uh, count. The challenger did win that one. The U.S. and here in Israel. Uh, what, what does that say about the Israeli in particular, a divided country? Yeah, I think, I think it says something about the whole world. The Israelis have been going at it for the last four elections, so they may have gotten a head start on the rest of the world, but we're seeing it everywhere. We saw it in France earlier this year. We're certainly seeing chaos in Great Britain. You see chaos in, in Brazil, where the elections, like in the United States two years ago, may be challenged. I mean, there, there are deep divisions within the electorate in all sorts of democracies, and it's going to be interesting to see where Israel comes down now that they're going for the fifth time in less than yeah, four, years. four years. I mean, that's yeah. really uh, probably unprecedented in the rest of the world, I would say. Julie, when you drive around here in Jerusalem, you see banners on many of the buses. Part of the banners are saying basically, don't vote for Netanyahu and see what you're going to get. Uh, you get these extreme radicals. Or on the other hand, you're Lapid and you're going to get maybe the Arab parties. Mm -hmm. Is that a big part of this? Who's going to be the one to lead Israel? in these very turbulent times. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, as John was saying about the polls, some show Netanyahu getting enough, some assume that he doesn't get enough. But in the last few days, there have also been some people who kind of maybe fantasized that the left and the right would actually get together, that Netanyahu would be able to include Gantz and even, even uh, Yair Lapid and his government, and everybody could do what they're really, what they're strong at. You know, that would be like wonderland, I think, for most Israelis. But, well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, it could be wishful thinking, but people are praying. So yes. how can people be praying, John, first you and then Julie and, and the minute we have left, how can people be praying for this election? Well, for voters, I say pray before you go into the vote, voting booth, for one thing. For another thing, we can always count on praying for the peace of Jerusalem because it's scriptural mm -hmm. commands that. And just pray that uh, there will be peace as people go to the polls, there'll be peace in their hearts and peace on the streets. Yeah. Julie, how about you? Yeah, I, I would just say mercy, that God would really show mercy on his people and somehow pull together, reconcile these forces uh, enough, you know, that somehow they'd let bygones be bygones and be able to, you know, humble themselves and join together to 
form a good government. Yeah, and the psalmist did say that one day that, you know, unity, brethren dwelling together in unity is like the oil running down mm -hmm. uh, Aaron's beard, and we would hope and pray that that could be true uh, by Wednesday morning when all the election results are in. Yes. All right. John, Julie, thanks for joining me. And Thank you. We'll be uh, doing more analysis and reporting once the <laughs> results come in. Well, we also took to the streets to hear from Israelis about what's on their mind this election. Let's hear what they had to say. So why are you here today? I'm here today to try and uh, make a difference. Who are you voting for today? So in America, we don't tell people who we are voting for, so I'm carrying that over with me. I'm voting for uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir. I know I'm voting for Meretz. We cannot say. We it's cannot uh, say. <laughs> classified. I don't know yet. I vote up, uh, for Bibi. He's a great leader and he has experience. And that's what we need in the Middle East. For uh, Yair Lapid. Because he's shown that he's a very uh, successful person. He's managed to do a lot of things in the short time that he's been a prime minister. I don't want to say. Saar, who's going with Gantz. So I guess Gantz in the end of the day. We don't usually talk about that, but I'll tell you, Benny Gantz. Basically, out of default, I would like to be the ideologist who be believed in a better future, two-state solution and all that. But... I'm also a realist. I don't see that coming in the next few years. What's the most important thing to you in this election? That we actually get a government and we don't have to keep voting and voting and we get people in there that actually do their job. Actually, it's the justice because currently the terrorism don't get punished like it should be. First of all, the fact that there's no ecological agenda in any other party except Merit and Avodah is absolutely astounding. And the second part is that they have a commitment to resolving the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. It's stability uh, and of course security. For me it's important the um, economic. Security, the economic. To be together, all, the, all these people must to be together. Stop the rift we have in the people between the left and right, religious and non-religious, Arabs and Jews. Financial improvement, uh, security, democratic legislation. So what do you expect as an outcome from these elections? <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I hope the extreme doesn't take over the agenda. I hope it will be the last time. We need to stop to fight each other and to make the decision to be together. Four years of non uh, elections, <laughs> yeah. so we can forget about it. I enjoyed our last government, but it didn't last that long because of the unity aspect of it. But I think we're going to have another election uh, very soon. I hope uh, we won't have another election, and I hope it will be a Zionist government uh, without any um, non-Zionist parties. Coming up, if Benjamin Netanyahu wins this election, who will his potential coalition partners be? We'll take a look when we come back. If Israeli election polls are accurate, Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party will have a 50-50 chance of building a coalition government. CBN Middle East correspondent Julie Stahl looks at who might be his partners. The main possibilities to join Netanyahu would be the religious Zionist party, as well as the ultra-Orthodox United Torah Judaism and Shas parties. 
I think Israel is uh, supposed to be uh, democratic and Jewish. In, uh, I, I don't accept the separation. I think that Israel, if Israel will be more Jewish, it will be more democratic, and it will be more democratic, it will be more Jewish, because the public in Israel is very strong in its Judaism. Knesset and religious Zionist party member Simcha Rothman has seen an upsurge in support during this round. Many supporters come from communities in Judea and Samaria that have been sidelined by the current largely secular government and recently attacked by terrorists. Israel is a very conservative society politically, in the way of life, in the culture, in the family. The second Israel will be able to decide its faith democratically, you will see the people choose more Jewish values because that's what the people in Israel wants. Jews of American and European descent primarily make up the UTJ party. The main two goals, first of all, to promote the interest of the ultra-Orthodox society, to support it financially, to give, for example, exemption from the army for the ultra-Orthodox man, the ability to study Torah, the support for the institute, the education system. According to Gilad Malach of the Israel Democracy Institute, the party wants a stricter version of Judaism within society. And the second thing is they want to promote keeping Shabbat as a day that there is no market, no transportation, to be more strict regarding conversion issues to Judaism and other religious issues. Shas party supporters are very diverse. The voters of the Shas party comes from all over. We have votes from the Arab villages. We have votes from downtown Tel Aviv. We have votes from Jerusalem. We have across the country. Because people understand for a stable future for the kids, they need to vote for Shas. Because no matter who you vote, you need to bring the following day bread to your table. While the Religious Zionist Party and UTJ push for a more strict definition of who is considered a Jew and therefore allowed to immigrate to Israel, the Shas founder had a broader view. Rabbi Avad Yosef was the only chief rabbi of Israel that recognized the Jewish people from Ethiopia as Jewish. And it's known that people from Russia get recognition straight away that you're Jewish. They also support the peace process. Shas party is the only religious party that joined the Rabin government in 1992. And we want peace, we're running for peace. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Jerusalem. Up next, a new movement is helping churches shine a light on the horrors of anti-Semitism and stand with the Jewish people. This November marks 84 years since Kristallnacht, or the Night of the Broken Glass, when the Nazis unleashed a wave of anti-Semitic violence on Germany's Jewish community. Rioters smashed the windows of Jewish businesses and synagogues. They also rounded up 30,000 Jewish men and murdered at least 91 people. I spoke to one man who was leading an initiative to help churches commemorate this dark event. Well, Gidon Ariel, co-founder of Root Source, thanks for joining us on, uh, on Jerusalem Dateline. You know, there's a significant anniversary coming up, November 9, 1938. It's called Kristallnacht, the Night of the Broken Glass. Tell us what Kristallnacht was. Thank you very much, Chris. What happened was that the Nazis came to power little by little. And uh, on November 9, 1938, they decided to figure out if they could actually Time. do a little bit of what they were planning. What they were planning was to see if all of Nazi Germany and all of the world would mind if there would be a terrible pogrom against uh, the Jews. And that's what happened. Hundreds 
and hundreds of synagogues and Jewish businesses were destroyed that night. The, the uh, windows were shattered, which is why it's called the Night of Broken Glass. And uh, there was a little uh, tisking around the world, but mostly the world did nothing. And uh, Hitler, of, uh, may his memory be blotted out, and the Nazis saw that this was like a green light for them to ultimately create the Holocaust. That's what happened on November 9, 1938. So that was a prelude to much worse when uh, six million Jews died during the Holocaust. Yes, that's what happened. Now, uh, November 9th is coming up, uh, 2022, and we're looking to see what we can do to remember that. Uh, uh, you're talking about Light Up the Church. Tell us what Light Up the Church is. Okay, before I get to Light Up the Church, I'll tell you a little bit about the history. A friend of mine from Israel, an Israeli woman, her father was a survivor of the Holocaust and of Kristallnacht, the night of, burning, of broken glass. And she said, wait a second, they tried to break the glasses, break the windows, shatter and destroy the synagogues on November 9th. We are going to show them that we are going to keep the lights on in these synagogues all around the world. That was about 10 years ago. And since then, hundreds of synagogues had made sure to keep their lights on on November 9th every year. I heard about this last year, and I said, this is something that Christians and churches must do also to show how much they identify with Jews today and with the, with the Holocaust. You know, tragically, uh, uh, back, uh, back in 1938, many Christians stayed silent uh, during those days and following them. Is there a difference now in the Christians you see responding and standing with uh, Israel and the Jewish people? Chris, I moved to Israel about uh, 40 years ago, and I met you, I think, about 20 or 30 years ago, and I've seen more and more Christians standing up with their Jewish friends and even trying to create relationships with Jews and with Israel. There's no question that not only because God is putting it in their hearts to be friends with Israel, but people see the reality on the ground. I think that, I think that this is definitely a divine moment. And when I say moment, I mean a whole period of time. And there's crazy things going on now, but it's a, a, an amazing time to live. And I am confident that our best friends are Christians. Israel's best friends are pro-Israel Christians around the world. Yeah. If, uh, if a church, if a home group, uh, somebody would like to join this, how would they get in touch with Light Up the Church? Lightupthechurch.org, all one word, www.lightupthechurch.org. Look for it also on Google. And by all means, reach out to me, and I'll be able to help you with some information that isn't there on the site. This is the first time we're doing it, and we hope that you'll be able to already participate this year and certainly in years to come. Well, Guidon uh, Ariel, thanks for joining us, co-founder of Root Source, and now uh, sponsoring this uh, Light Up the Church. I, I hope many churches will take advantage of this opportunity. Thank you very, very much. Still ahead, a scuba diver stumbles upon a crusader sword in the Mediterranean Sea. What it says about Israel 900 years ago. Israeli archaeologists say a scuba diver established an ancient sword off the country's Mediterranean coast. And as CBN Middle East correspondent Julie Stahl reports, experts say it dates back to the time of the Crusades. Israeli Shlomi Katzin was scuba diving in the Mediterranean Sea off the northern coast of Israel 
when he discovered the 900-year-old sword. The most interesting thing is that uh, this is one of the first, or as I know, complete sword that ever found in Israel and in a very good preservation. We know that uh, usually under the water, the materials, uh, the archaeological materials, survive better than on land. Katsin also found stone anchors and pottery fragments on the seabed. The finds were apparently uncovered by the waves and undercurrents that shifted the sand. Fearing the sword could be stolen or swept away by the currents, Katsin took it ashore and turned it over to the Israel Antiquities Authority. Katsin received a certificate of appreciation for good citizenship. Because of the area where the sword was found, not so far from the Crusader castle of Atlete, which is a Templar castle during the early 13th century, we are assuming that it belonged to the Crusader period because of the size, because of the other artifacts that belong to the site. The Crusaders captured Jerusalem in 1099 AD and set up their kingdom here. They ruled the area of the Holy Land for nearly 200 years. Following the weight of the sword, we, we assumed that the, the knight that hold this sword was very strong because to fight with this uh, weight and this size of uh, sword, it wasn't so easy. Even today to hold it, it's heavy. The IAA says every artifact that's found helps to piece together the historical puzzle of the land of Israel. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Jerusalem. Well, that's all for this edition of Jerusalem Dateline. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also access CBN content through our CBN News and other CBN apps. And don't forget to sign up for our email blast so you can continue to receive all of our exciting CBN content. I'm Chris Mitchell. We'll see you next time on Jerusalem Dateline.